I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You've tuned in to Sci-Fi Fidelity, episode 75, Impulse. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. It's Mike and Dave again with another uh, show topic for you here on Sci-Fi Fidelity. We weren't quite sure what was going to happen this week, but it's time to talk about impulse. And this is going to be a very interesting discussion, Dave, because this falls into the category, uh, like we talked about on the podcast before with Travelers, I believe, where it's a show that no one is watching that everyone should be, that just people don't know about. Yeah, well, first of all, who would have thought YouTube <laughs> would produce such an outstanding genre show? Because it really is good. Yeah, and it's, uh, I think, slipping under the radar for some folks because everyone just thought, well, YouTube premium, I'm not going to pay for that. And YouTube came up with a very innovative way to air these such that pretty much anyone can enjoy it. So if you are thinking about it, not quite sure if you were going to check it out. This season one is available in its entirety on YouTube for free. And season two is released to all subscribers to the premium channel, just like Netflix would release an entire season. But they're going to dole out one episode at a time for season two Wednesdays so that people can enjoy it for free on a weekly basis. So I think that's very generous of them to do it that way. And it allows or, you know, people like podcasters and things like that to talk about it. We're going to be talking about the first two episodes of season two. And I think that's pretty much all that's aired so far for free viewers, right? Oh, yeah, that's correct. And as I was telling you the other day, my wife got hooked on it, binged the entire season one and the first episode of season two in three days. And then uh, she's like, well, can't you call Michael and see if he's got screeners? I'm like, <laughs> Uh, no, I can't. I mean, I can, but I'm not. <laughs> and I don't have screeners. So I did have screeners for the first two, but now that's a moot point. <laughs> but yeah, I did get to uh, preview these. And my intent originally was just to watch enough to review season two with a recap for season one. And I got hooked really hard. But for those of you who are not familiar with this show, Impulse, and its premise, it's actually based very loosely on the same premise as the 2008 film Jumper, in which people who discover they can teleport encounter an existing history of those with the ability and those who want to eliminate them. Now, the film Jumper in 2008 was also really super loosely based on the book, really just taking the concept of someone discovering that they can teleport and then encountering some people who are <laughs> combating them. That's, that's about as loosely based on the conflict as you can possibly get. But there is a connection. Doug Lyman directed the movie in 2008, and he is an executive producer on Impulse. So this is almost like his second attempt, whereas the movie maybe didn't quite turn out the way he expected. Now he has a second chance to do it here, and he's doing a great job 
along with Lauren LaFranc, who's the showrunner. Yeah. And I've watched several interviews with her on YouTube of all places. <laughs> and, it, you know, she really mentioned some interesting things. And, and one is that this series is considered, at least in her mind, as a YA offering, which I find a little surprising. I mean, I get it. And, and we're going to talk about some of the aspects of the series that are clearly directed at the young adult audience. But I got to believe that there aren't all that many young people watching it. It's, it's more people like us, I think. Well, uh, yeah, I'd be interested to, to find that out because I think it's a little both and it kind of appeals across audiences that way. Having a young protagonist is obviously part of it. But yeah, the trauma that's involved here is very much uh, adult, even though it's very real, unfortunately, for young people as well. But the film, in turn, like I said, was very loosely based on the 1992 sci-fi novel Jumper by Stephen Gould, which was sort of tonally much closer to the show Impulse than it was to the film. And Impulse is named for the third novel in Gould's trilogy, which was written in 2013. But both explored the idea of initially using this teleporting ability to escape trauma. But even so, even with that in mind, the TV show is completely its own story with completely its own characters. And I kind of like this concept the best of the three <laughs> that were given to us uh, based on just reading plot summaries of, of each. So I, I really have enjoyed Impulse in particular, but I did discover as I was reshelving books in our school library today that we actually have Impulse on the shelf <laughs> in our high school library. Oddly, not the other two, but but I thought that was kind of fun. Yeah, and my guess is it's <laughs> never been checked out. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> but always in the background of all of these, including the TV show, is an enemy who seeks out those with the ability to teleport. So in the books, it's the NSA who eventually work with the jumpers to combat criminals. And in the movie, it was a religious group of paladins who consider the ability to teleport blasphemous. I think that's kind of the cheesiest <laughs> version. But in the TV show here, it's a secret government group intent on exploiting the jumpers. Actually, they are very, very much understated in season one. And I think season two is just going to start scratching the surface of what the secret government group is all about. But really, it's more about overcoming trauma, learning how to control the ability that springs from that trauma, and just avoiding discovery not just by people who are trying to exploit them, but just by their family and friends who would consider them crazy if they were told what they were up to. But the way we're going to do this discussion, Dave, is we're going to actually mostly just talk about season one as it leads into season two. We're going to go ahead and put season two, since there are only two episodes anyway, in the spoiler zone, just because I figure there's a lot of people that haven't even seen this. And this will allow you to listen to the entire podcast, even if you're only halfway through season one, this should be relatively spoiler light because we're just going to share our overall impressions of the characters and the plot line that unfolds fairly slowly, a very careful pace to the show. And so, you know, this kind of applies across season one and two, those opinions of, of the characters and the, and the storyline. So you're going to be perfectly safe if you haven't seen the entirety of season one, and then we'll hit the spoiler zone to talk about the, the first two episodes. Well, maybe not entirely safe, but pre <laughs> yeah. pretty safe. Fairly safe. Spoiler, spoiler light. But uh, the main character is really one that bears praise, and that is 16-year-old Henrietta Henry Coles, played by Maddie Hassan, 
who is relatively new to a small town in upstate New York, but she just plays wonderfully this angry, sullen loner. And she's a bit rebellious, but she also, you can see, is trying her hardest to be her best self. And I just really love how she's portrayed here. Oh, I do too. And am I the only one that initially thought I was watching the actress that played Sally Draper all grown up? Oh uh, yeah. From Sabrina, uh, the chilling adventures of Sabrina. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a uh, very close proximity there, but yeah, yeah she def And she kind of reminds me also of the actress that's in cloak and dagger. Another <laughs> slow paced comic book show where there's abilities like this, but a very key piece of motivation obviously comes from this flirtatious encounter that suddenly becomes non-consensual and the basketball team captain Clay Boone, he's played by Tanner Stein. He takes it too far and it becomes a sexual assault after she tries to push him away and change her mind about what she wants to do with him. And that actually triggers her ability. She already was having seizures. And now this ability has been triggered along with her seizure. And when fear or self-preservation comes into play, not only can she teleport, but she also kind of buckles everything around her. And that's exactly what happens as Clay's car is crushed with him inside it after the sexual assault. And he is paralyzed. Now, of course, the trauma of that for him means he doesn't really remember how it happened or how she was involved, but uh, that does unfold throughout season one. But, you know, Henry just shows up back in her bedroom. And in fact, for quite a while, that's the only place she can teleport to. It's not really a controlled thing. She just goes back to what I guess her subconscious considers to be a safe place. Right. Right. And, you know, you mentioned that it's a slow developing story and I would agree with you, but I'd also say, that they give us so many details along the way that we don't even realize that it is slow paced. And we learn early on that clearly some of these teleporters can in fact control where they go. So obviously we learn that she is in the nascent stage of her ability. And as you said, at this point, she has no control subconsciously. Her ability takes her to her safe place, as you said, her bedroom. Right. And it's good that they did that at the beginning of the series. They showed us that there are other teleporters that are much better at it. <laughs> and they gave us that great action sequence to start off. It sort of tells you where we might be headed once Henry gets control of her own powers. So you can see what's possible and what's in, in the distant future for her. So kind of cool, but it really is focused on character development. It's very much a character driven story. And part of that is Henry's mother, Cleo, played by Missy Piles, who's a drifter herself. She insists that she's now found comfort in this upstate New York town with a man named Thomas, who's the local bowling alley owner. He's also a single dad with a daughter of his own, who is Jenna played by Sarah Desjardins, one of my favorite characters for sure. And Jenna was originally antagonistic towards Henry. They didn't really get along as sisters, but once she finds out what happens with Clay, she immediately becomes a confidant and wants to help Henry. And Henry pushes her away. And to Jenna's credit, she really doesn't give up on Henry and has a lot of compassion for her stepsister. Well, yeah. And, and for me, that's one of the most intriguing aspects of the show is that the human aspect of the ability that she's discovering she has and the people around her that 
learn it along with her. And look, even Towns mentions later on certain aspects of Campbell's hero's journey. Yeah, isn't that great? <laughs> yeah, and and really that is what we've got going on here. Oh, for sure. This is a great illustration of that concept. And it's not as though Jenna and Towns, the the boy at school that you mentioned, that's also kind of a sidekick. They have their own stories, certainly. And I, I really love Jenna's brilliant subtext going on in the background where she might have closeted sexuality going on. She might not even know herself that she might like girls instead of boys. So I, th- I think that's really wonderfully played. And of course, Towns, who's played by Daniel Maslany. Yes, that is Tatiana Maslany's brother from Orphan Black. Uh, in fact, there's a lot of Orphan Black actors <laughs> showing up. But gee, I wonder if it's filmed in uh, Ontario. I believe yeah. it is. Hey, that's art. <laughs> exactly. And and Donnie, right? <laughs> yeah. But uh, Towns is an autistic student. And, and I think Daniel does a great job of playing him that way. He sees Henry's ability as a gift and her as a superhero where he gets to be the sidekick. And that obviously has its ups and downs where it's helpful at times and very frustrating to Henry at other times. But obviously we love the dynamic ourselves as viewers, but there's also this very interesting subplot involving a local crime ring. And I think this is where it goes outside the bounds of YA because it almost feels like Breaking Bad or, or or one of the crime shows like Ozark or one of those. Because this drug ring is going on where some Mennonites from Canada, just across the Canadian border, are running opioids down through the used car salesman in town, who actually the owner of that used car lot is the father of the boy who assaulted Henry. So it's all going to be tied together here. Because the damage that was done to Clay after Henry crushed his car is blamed on the Mennonites because, uh, you know, a shipment was lost or something like that. So they just assumed that the Mennonites were getting their revenge. And so the family in turn then tries to take out one of the Mennonites children as well. And, and uh, the revenge killing starts, the police investigation begins and the eventual downfall of the crime ring including a complicit sheriff, which sets up another great character, Deputy Anna Halche. She's played by Anuka Okuma, and she becomes a main character in season two where she's able to take things over. But that police investigation is very key because Anna in particular plays a key role in the discovery and, and how Henry and the rest have to kind of avoid being discovered, even though Anna is someone who would probably be helpful to them if she believed what was going on, right? Well, yeah. And, and you know, you mentioned Deputy Halche as the outsider. And, and that's, again, one of those things that draws Henry to certain people, the connection she has with Towns. And he even is astute enough to mention it to her that you and I understand each other because we know what it's like to be the outsider and to be different. I think at one point, I can't remember whether it's in season two or not, but even refers to them as being special. And, and we know exactly what he means. And then of course, deputy Halche, she's got her own backstory about what happened in New York that leads her to come to this small town and and we just get a little sprinkling of it. So uh, I guess we'll see if that gets developed more in season two, but, but you know, these three, even though they're not connected uh, 
together, you know, there is this connection. Right. And you do wonder who's going to be brought into the fold in season two, because it's really just Towns, Jenna and Henry. And towards the end of the season, Bill Boone, the used car salesman, does start to believe his son who assaulted Henry. And he said, but she did this to me. She paralyzed me because he does slowly realize what happened to him and what she can do. And I think he even witnesses her teleporting away or he tell she teleports with him at one point in season one, doesn't she? <laughs> well, you know, and, and that's the thing that it, again is a recurring theme throughout season one when uh, especially clay threatens to reveal her power, even though he has to know how crazy it sounds. And, and I think she even says, you know, do what you got to do. Who's going to believe you? Exactly. And I love how that plays out too, because there's a lot of things that lead up to Henry's confrontation with Clay and being able to just tell him that she does not forgive him what she, for what he did. And she's glad that he's in the state that he's in. And she's having to deal with the trauma of that event in addition to what's going on with her teleportation abilities, which is can be kind of dangerous as she learns about it. You know, she and Towns and Jenna certainly do a certain amount of experimentation to try and figure it out. But even that where they're like going underwater and stuff, it's not until she's near drowning that she's able to trigger her uh, response to teleport back to her bedroom. And obviously that's not control. That's instinct. Right. And one of the things that we're forced to consider is the fact that there's no question he sexually assaults her in his truck. Does the punishment fit the crime? And at times, I think we look at that young man whose his life has been irrevocably changed. On the other hand, it's your fault. You, you know, you're the one that assaulted this young woman. And he's not apologetic. I think that's no. what goes a long way towards saying, yes, the punishment does fit the crime because he still sees it as something that was done to him. You know, at, at least his brother Lucas is, you know, someone who wants to be forgiven for being a murderer. Right. And, you know, we mentioned several times that this is considered a YA offering by uh, the showrunner and, and the writers. And we understand that they are sending that message out there to young people that no means no. Right. And while I think sometimes it feels a bit heavy handed through season one. I think in retrospect, for somebody that's been able to see it in its entirety twice now, it does play on that idea of Henry not only coping with the trauma of what happened to her, but coping with how it impacts her teleportation ability, which is, of course, the heart of the story. Exactly. And, and I think we, you and I have talked a lot about shows that have treated social commentary with a heavy hand. And I don't think this is one of those. I think this one does a great job of it because it's just so utterly believable. And the progression for Henry is just spot on. And the acting of course is way good on the part of Maddie Hassan. So, and of course the message that smoking weed is cool is out there. <laughs> exactly. Don't you love that? <laughs> but uh, by the end of season one, Bill Boone, like I said, has learned about Henry's ability and for whatever reason actually believes Clay. And upon confronting her with her mother, who you have to wonder if she's going to wake up and, and kind of know what had happened as well. But I'm thinking not. But he shoots his gun, which triggers her self-defense ability 
causing her to teleport, but she's touching his gun arm and that rips his arm off at the shoulder. So that kind of tells me that in order to teleport with a person, you better be hugging them, you know, full body for it to work. But that was pretty gruesome. <laughs> well, well, right. And we even get the scene in the fire and my wife asked me, well, how does she know to, to hug him like that? And right. <laughs> my answer is of course, well, she doesn't, it just kind of seems the logical thing to do at that point. Right. Oh, you mean, yeah. When she rescues clay and he figures yeah. out that she teleported them. Yeah. That was a great scene, but, but it's logical how she figures that out. Yeah. And the bullet appears to have hit Cleo and so she's injured and unconscious leading into season two. So only Lucas Boone, who I just briefly mentioned, he's the older brother who killed the Mennonite scapegoat. He's the only one remaining because Clay has gone off to live with his mother, but he's riddled with guilt over the part he played in the misunderstanding between the Mennonite drug distributors and his family who was selling the drugs. So he's going to have a journey to undergo in season two. And all throughout season one, Callum Keith Rennie's character who we come to know as Nikolai has been rounding up teleporters for capture for this unknown person on the phone. So that's been an underlying mythology aspect to the series. And he's sent to get Henry. They just know there's a new teleporter in upstate New York. I'm not sure how they detect the teleportations, but they're able to see that it's happening. And there's shades of coercion with Nikolai. We're not sure he's doing the rounding up of his fellow teleporters reluctantly or willingly because it almost seems like this woman on the phone must have something on him to get him to do this. And he's only doing it half-heartedly, I think. Right. Well, he, she controls whatever it is that he's injecting right. in himself. And we don't know at this point whether the need for that is a byproduct of teleportation, of course, takes us back to dark and time travel. And we, see what Adam looks like at the end from. Yeah. It's almost the same as that actually, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we don't know, but I'm glad you brought that up because Nikolai is that gray area character in that we know he's working for this shadow organization. We don't even know for sure. Is it that it's the government? Yeah, we don't. Yeah. I'll just call it a shadow organization. But there's certainly things that come out in season two that we'll talk about in the spoiler zone that make us question what his intentions really are, particularly with Henry. That's right. So we should go ahead and hit the spoiler zone so we can talk about season two a little bit. And hopefully we'll be figuring things out very soon. And hopefully those of you who have, you know, done some viewing or no viewing of season one can catch up to us and join us in the spoiler zone at a future date. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You are now entering the spoiler zone. All right, so if you are here, you have seen episodes one and two of season two, and I really like the direction season two is headed. I was worried that it would either be more of the same or something completely different that wasn't consistent with the tone of season one. And it really could have just been another episode of season one, especially the way we watched it. It was almost like we were just continuing on. But there is a shift in the plot with Nikolai and the Shadow Organization starting to take center stage now that Bill Boone and that whole crime syndicate plot line is gone. Yeah. And for a brief moment, I was a little worried we weren't going to have towns. We weren't going to have Jenna. Of course, we do have them. And, you know, again, one of the opening scenes is when Nikolai's dissolving Bill's body in the acid in (laughs) Jenna's father's barn. And then we even get that later scene when Officer Hulche is there and Towns and Jenna are concerned. I think it's Towns and Jenna are concerned that, well, what if it didn't completely dissolve? What if there's parts <laughs> of his body? And my wife's immediate response was, well, shouldn't those two science nerds know that? <laughs> yeah, they're in the middle of taking classes on the subject. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting that they take that news rather well. I think it's very much part of Henry's ongoing trauma in season two that she had to witness Nikolai dissolving the body of the man she inadvertently killed. Cause not only do you have to deal with the fact that my ability has now killed someone, you know, it's one thing to paralyze your attacker because you almost feel like he deserves it. It's another thing to have killed someone by accident and now watch someone getting rid of the evidence. So you can see it in these first two episodes that Henry is really dealing with even more where she just wants to deaden her emotions. She can't find pot, so she ends up drinking herself pretty sloshed at at a party that's going on at the beginning of season two. But boy, uh, you have to feel bad for her having to just add one trauma on top of another. Yeah, and we do get a lot of scenes throughout the series that are flashbacks, memories, fantasies of hers. And, you know, we're not quite sure initially which of those they are, but one of those occurs as she finally finds some weed at this party outside. And she, she has this vision or flashback or whatever. And it it just has to be terrifying for her because she's already in a bad place because we learn that she moves around every six months as her mother goes to a new man. And, you know, it does seem as if, She's finally found somebody that's a good man that she's in love with. The two daughters have a connection now, but. uh, And they're trying to heal the mother daughter relationship as well. So yeah, it's definitely being healed. Of course, part of that trauma, in addition to all the things I mentioned for Henry is the fact that her mother has been shot and now she has to figure out how to get her to a hospital. Nikolai can only help so much, but he tries to give her a story to use He takes her a certain amount of distance in a car, purposely lets the gas trail out the back so that her story is plausible that they ran out of gas. I love that, how he just casually leaves the siphon hose in the tank. But it doesn't quite work out, right? He says, I'll find you soon. Here's the story you go with. But she teleports home 
instead of getting her mother, you know, walked into town with the story that they cocked up and she's in the home just as the cleaners show up because Nikolai has sent in a couple of dudes to make the story that they've come up with plausible by cleaning up a good portion of the blood. But she focuses on her mom. This is her first attempt to try and teleport with control. But instead of teleporting back to the car that she left her mother in, she teleports to the diner where her mom worked, which is three miles from where the car was, which completely messes up her story. So, you know, with Anna Holche on the case that some inconsistencies in the story are going to start to get her in trouble. (laughs) Yeah, because uh, look, she's a good liar. There's no question, but she's at a different level at this point. Right. I mean, you can't just say, Oh, I left my mom, the mom in the car three miles away. But instead of walking to the part of town that we were near, I walked over all the way over to the diner. So yeah, kind of tricky, but Anna is now, we assume sheriff or at least acting sheriff, her colleague counsels her against helping the family clean the house because I guess that's just not something that is involved with police work. They have to remain impartial, but Anna to her credit does come back and starts cleaning things up herself. Cause she doesn't feel it's fair for them to come back and see all this blood everywhere. But part of that process is that she finds a little bit of stray blood, I think, in a place that doesn't fit with the story that they've been told. So I think that's just the first bit that's going to take Anna down a path that says something else went on here. But Anna is definitely going to rise as a strong woman. I just love that she can play someone that we like and can be helpful, but also is a bit of an antagonist in terms of what dangers she might bring to the secret lives that Henry and her friends are, are leading. Exactly. Because there've been a number of shows where we're rooting for the bad guy, the the character that clearly is in the wrong. And here, as you said, we've got a character that just wants to help people. She is the quintessential police officer who wants to serve her community she makes the connection with the young women. As you said, she doesn't want those two girls to have to come home and find the blood and knows they can't afford to hire a service to come in and do the job. So as you said, she does it. But on the other hand, she's after our people, the people we're rooting <laughs> for. And and I got to believe once that happens, and I think that seems inevitable, she's going to be on Henry's side protecting her from Nikolai, I maybe. guess. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and it does come up because, of course, Jenna and and Towns are trying to figure out whether to trust Anna or whether to trust Nikolai. So a little bit of that going back and forth between those two. Yeah, and, and you know, you, you mentioned Henry killing Bill Boone, uh, of course, but let's not forget that Jenna stabs Nikolai. Right, yeah. And for a while assumes she may have killed him. Right. That was kind of great because, you know, they're all very strong people, but they don't just brush it off. You know, they do force these characters to deal with what they've done. And I think that's great because we mentioned how Henry wants to go to the party to numb the trauma that's been piling up. But at the same time, she does tell Jen and towns about killing bill. She tells them about dissolving the body. And there's this whole piece of figuring out what her father is all about because in season one, of course, we did see flashbacks that indicate 
that her father was taken from her. He did not leave as she's been told. And we can only conclude that he's a teleporter too. Well, where does she find herself? You know, when she is in that sketchy room and she finds the old photo of her family. Yeah. Where is that? Is it India? You know, I'm looking at my map because clearly the ocean is there and I assume it's the Indian ocean, but I don't know. And that's what's so great about the opening episodes of season two is that it's clearly shifting towards this new mystery and revealing some answers that were only hinted at in season one about the shadow organization. So definitely the father's going to come into play. Henry even dreams of her father and her feet are stuck in mud. I think that was that uh, marijuana vision that you were referring to, but he has a message for her. You have to find me before he does. Now, does he mean Nikolai? Because Nikolai has already found her or, you know, Nikolai was certainly, or we think was responsible for her father's disappearance Presumably he was rounded up the same way Nikolai has rounded up others, but maybe that's not the case. You know, there's certain amount of mystery to what's going on and whether she can get to her father, whether he can leave a trail of breadcrumbs for her because she does wake up with muddy feet from a vision that she had of her feet stuck in mud. So how did that work? (laughs) Yeah. And do we believe Nikolai when he says he doesn't know where her father is? I mean, on the one hand, He may have at one time and he's being honest when he says, well, right now I don't know where he is, but he rounded him up for the government lady and who knows what the government lady did with him. You know, that's that kind of thing. Unless he hasn't made the connection yet. Yeah, maybe not. Because we get that one scene where I think he's asking the woman that seems to be in charge about a familial connection. Mm -hmm. And I think she just blows it off. And certainly that's one of the, story arcs that comes up in the first season whether or not the ability is genetically passed right so this must be one of the first examples of of that of a father-daughter teleporter relationship which which is reflected in the books by the way so the, the book impulse is about a daughter of the character from the first novel so but Nikolai does seem to want to mentor her she doesn't want his mentoring <laughs> But he does want to teach her some control, takes her somewhere in Eastern Europe at one point so that he can have some pierogies or something. (laughs) And she's very reluctant. I think it's very interesting that at one point in season two, Nikolai tries to start her tutelage by confronting her with Clay's crushed truck. And he tells her, we all have our own special place or person, and then we save ourselves. So that's the whole idea of her teleporting to the bedroom after saving herself, right? Right, sure. And he says, well, you're going to keep hurting people until you confront this. And that includes the crushed truck of clay. But what I find interesting is that, yes, this all sounds well and good, but this is Henry we're talking about. And so she fights it. She tases him. She wants his mentoring, but she wants it to be on her terms where he can't just teleport her wherever he wants without her permission. And that's the words she uses, which brings back the whole issue of consent again. Yes. And I think that's just so great how it applies, not just with her sexual assault, but here with his, you know, mansplaining (laughs) of her ability. Right. Right. And you know, the, the whole idea of the mentor. And again, I mentioned earlier and I would urge any of you guys that are into this show to Google 
Campbell and the hero's journey if, if you don't know about it, because, you know, there are a lot of great movies and, and shows that employ that narrative technique. And, you know, some are really fastidious, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, in, in terms of hitting each exact stage. I'm really seeing a lot of it here and they're just doing it so well. Yeah, really, really well. And of course, you know, you mentioned the injections because after she tases Nikolai, he injects himself with probably what little is left of that stuff. She says, what is that? And he says, hopefully you'll never have to find out. So whether that's just from repeated teleportations or not, we'll find out. But there's two subplots I want to mention as we wrap things up here. One is with Lucas Boone, who's having to dig his own grave with the Mennonites. And he thinks he deserves it. He's, he's perfectly willing to dig his own grave. But Esther, the female leader of the Mennonite group, visits her husband in jail, and he wants her to post bond and bring him out so they can rebuild their drug business. But she blames him for her son's death and leaves him there. So she, in essence, becomes the leader of the remaining crime family and wants Lucas to, I guess, pay some other sort of penance that she has in mind. So I have no idea what's going to go on with that plot and how it's going to tie back in with the Henry plot line. But I'm intrigued <laughs> for oh, sure. Oh, no question. <laughs> and, and having him dig his own grave, we're wondering, he's wondering, is he going to end up in that grave? And, and I think at, at the end of it, she had him dig it for a specific reason to. Yeah. The uh, process was what was. Important. Yes. She says to him, death is not the only freedom and offers him salvation instead. So we'll see what happens with that. The other subplot, of course, is with Jenna and Towns, who at the very end of season one were hacked by someone who calls themselves systems analyst manager. (laughs) A nice generic term. And now the hacker maybe is working against Nikolai, giving them information about the shady government group and what's being done to these people that Nikolai is rounding up. So this VHS tape that they're given, they have to, I love, they have to hunt down a VCR in the barn. (laughs) Well, and there's not a lot of humor in this series, but as they're trying to figure out how to hook it up, and I think it's Jenna that says, well, where's the screen? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I gotta love it. And they watch the tape and it's this guy named Dominic Baptiste, who's part of a sleep study supposedly, but actually no, he's a teleporter. And they have something to investigate. There's a Michael Pierce, who was the scientist who washed up. I believe that was the one played by Keegan Michael Key. And uh, Dominic was the teleporter. So now they have these names to investigate. They're wondering, should they show Nikolai, according to Towns? Or Jenna thinks maybe Anna would be a better confidant. So that's certainly going to play out as the season goes along. But really, it's wondering, what is this mysterious boss of Nikolai's up to? Because... There's clearly a military test by the end of episode two. There's a teleporter who is able to bring an entire room with him, but is destroyed in the process and is off target from the military test. And they just kind of be like, well, we lost another one. So what is it that they're trying to do with these teleporters? It's got to have some kind of military application, but I can't quite figure out what it might be. Right. And we also know this is supposedly Nikolai's last mission. Right. Which maybe that's because if he goes on anymore, he'll die without the injections. Who knows? I almost feel like he's helping Henry 
instead of bringing her in right away as he's probably supposed to do. Right. So it's like a little job he's doing on the side. So definitely an intriguing start to season two. I really was very happy to learn that YouTube was still going to release season two for free a week apart because I'm perfectly happy to wait. (laughs) I don't need to have it all at once. So just a great thing. And now it's going to make me keep an eye out for other offerings that YouTube might have have in store for us because uh, Impulse has certainly paved the way quite well. All right, Mike. So what do we have up for next week? Well, we're still waiting on that elusive interview. So stay tuned. We might have something in that arena, just having a little trouble scheduling it. And we've had a couple of things drop out. But if we do not have an interview next week, we're going to be taking on Watchmen on HBO, which I know a lot of our listeners we're looking forward to. And we're asking about, are we going to be covering it? Yeah. And I'm excited. I've seen the first one. I really dig it a lot. Yes, because we're in, we've been doing so many Netflix shows and things like that. This is a week by week show, and as of the recording of this podcast, only one episode has aired. So we'll really be holding to the first couple of episodes on this particular discussion. Yes. But I'm sure it will be enough to sort of whet our appetites for the show. But that's going to be it for this episode of Sci-Fi Fidelity. Keep the discussion going on social media. You can follow Den of Geek on Twitter and Facebook at Den of Geek US, and we are at Sci-Fi Fidelity. And in the meantime, we'd love it if you could rate and review the podcast wherever you access it. Be sure to send us your suggestions for future topics on social media or via email to sci-fi fidelity at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.